Scripture reading is from Psalm 34, a Psalm of David. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Thank you, Ruth, and good evening, everyone. Welcome as we continue in worship tonight. We're looking at two promises, God's promise that God's goodness will pursue us, and then in just a few moments, God's loving kindness will pursue us, because these are the two verses articulated in Psalm 23 at the very end. Surely goodness and loving kindness will pursue me all the days of my life. What a tremendous word. God's goodness will pursue me. One of the most fundamental questions that anyone seeking to know God wrestles with is the question of God's goodness. Uh, Many of us in the room have asked this question. Is God good? How many have asked that question? It's a tough question at times in the face of the realities that we see all around us. If God is good, why all the suffering in the world? Why all the death and loss? Many years ago, a rabbi wrote a book entitled uh, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. And he basically came to the conclusion that either, number one, if God is good, God is not powerful because a good and powerful God would stop these things from happening, these bad things. Or if God is powerful, then God isn't good because God and his power allows suffering to continue. Thankfully, there's a third way. When we come to the scriptures, we discover, yes, we live in a broken, fallen world. And yet, in this broken and fallen world, we can declare with confidence that God is good. And here's why. James chapter 1, verse 17 says this. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. Every good and perfect gift. So everything that you enjoy in life, everything that gives life to you, that good coffee in the morning, the sunrise, the daffodils at the end of March, the longer days, the days that it doesn't rain. All of these things are gifts from God that we are invited by God to enjoy. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 24, is where uh, the preacher pondering, really, the temporality of life and the reality of injustice and suffering, he says, I've come to this conclusion that it's good and fitting to eat and drink and enjoy the day that God has given us. God has given us Every day, good gifts. Is the world broken? Yes. Unjust? Absolutely. Is God good? Completely. Eight days ago, I was in Austria, and on the Thursday of my week teaching a ski week, it was the only sunny day. So we were able to ski on that day, 12 miles from high in the Alps, down in a little town called Hallstatt, 
uh, a little lake town in Austria. And if you love snow, this is a gift. And this is a testament of God's goodness. If you hate snow, if you like Hawaii, this may be a bad thing for you. It's okay. But for me, this is very life-giving and a gift from God because every day of this week that I was there was foggy and windy and cold and whiteout conditions except the one day that we were skiing 12 miles and we had perfect visibility. Not everybody gets that on every day. We live in a fallen world, but here's the point. God gives us good gifts. And 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4 says it this way also. Every creation of God is good. Therefore, if it isn't good, it doesn't come from God. So then we ask the question, if God's goodness is pursuing me, to what end? Romans chapter 2 verse 4 reminds me that God's kindness is intended to lead me to repentance, which is a way of saying that God's goodness and the gifts that God gives me is an invitation from God to not only enjoy the gifts, but to move beyond the gifts and enjoy the source of the gifts, which is God himself. Some of you in the room, many of you, all, probably all of us in the room, uh, when we celebrate Christmas, we give gifts to one another, but particularly I'm thinking of the gifts that I give to my children. The reason I give gifts to my children isn't to impress them, and it, it isn't because they want the monetary gifts, uh, the monetary gain uh, of the gifts. I've never seen one of my children take a gift and then go to eBay immediately and sell the gift. My children receive the gifts because the gift is simply a symbol, what? Of the love of the giver. Isn't this true for most of us in the room? I hope it's true. It makes Christmas easier for me. I don't feel I have to impress my kids with the gift because it's the thought that counts. That's what I remind them uh, <laughs> continually. But, the, but the, gift points, the gift points to, to love, do you see? And, and, and it, it's an invitation to relationship. So C.S. Lewis, in his book, Surprised by Joy, in my paraphrase, expresses this. Beauty ignites a longing for something beyond the beauty itself. And, and, and this is why Lewis became a Christian. Beauty incited joy. Joy incited longing. Longing incited in Lewis's sort of homesickness for a relationship with the one who is at the source of all the beauty and all the longing and all the joy. And as a result of longing for the source, it's as Lewis kept going up further and further up the river to the headwaters, and at the headwaters he found Christ. And he moved. And he moved from unbelief to belief, but more significantly, he moved from isolation from God to relationship with God. Why? Because God's goodness will always pursue us. Always. And so there's some application here for all of us in the room. Uh, Jesus at a time had a complaint in Matthew chapter 13. He said, one of the indictments of religious people, often we have eyes, but we what? Don't see. Have you experienced the goodness of God today? I can say unequivocally, yes. I don't know your story of the day, but I know this. God is good. And so uh, there's a moment every day to give thanks, and not just to give thanks for the gift, but to seek relationship, which means moving toward God, who is the, who is the source of all the gifts. And when I move toward God, that's repentance. Because I'm moving away from lesser things toward the source. And what a beautiful time to repent. Good Friday. And we repent first by thanking God for gifts. I thank God tonight that I'm here because I got back in my car, which I hadn't used for a few weeks, and the, and the, the, rear, the side mirror on the side of the car 
was crunched in. You know how they, it wasn't broken, but you know how you can do that? And I didn't notice. And then uh, when I was getting on the freeway, I went to look in the mirror, and the mirror wasn't there. And I said, oh, it's all right. And I just sped up, not knowing there was a car right beside me. And I just at the last second looked and just missed the car. And then I veered off and I came to a stop on the side of the freeway. I took a deep breath and I said, thank you, God, for your goodness that I'm still here. We all have gifts. Every day, a gift. So you received uh, an index card when you come in and I'd invite you just for a moment here to give thanks for a gift that God has given you today. What is it? A sunrise? A good cup of coffee? A good conversation? A promotion? Not getting killed in your automobile? Just take a minute and give thanks because God is faithful. His goodness is always pursuing us. Our next reading comes from Matthew chapter 23. Jerusalem, Jerusalem who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you, from now on you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And from Lamentations chapter 3. Remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and the bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. This I recall to my mind, and therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. Thank you, Ruth. And as we continue, uh, recalling Psalm 23, verse 6, the goodness of the Lord will follow us all the days of our lives and the loving kindness of the Lord. And this is what we consider for just a moment here. And loving kindness would legitimately be translated as covenant love. And this is also a little bit of an esoteric expression. We don't talk about covenants very much. But a covenant love is a very important love because it's a way of God saying to you and I that the love present in a covenant relationship is a love that is never predicated on our performance. When you get married and you articulate a covenant, you simply say, I will. I will love, I will cherish, I will honor. You don't say, I will if you do. You just say, I will. And this is why it's a covenant, not a contract. Covenant love is powerful. None of us embody covenant love perfectly, of course. But one does. That's the one that we celebrate this evening. It's a preemptive love in that God's covenant love for us is a love that sought us out even while we were God's enemies. And covenant love is a transformative love in that covenant love is not the kind of love that just kind of covers over our dysfunction and our our disease and our rebellion. Uh, Rather, covenant love is committed to our ongoing transformation. 
And covenant love is an infinite love. Covenant love is a love that says, look, I will love you. I will love you when you love me. I will love you when you don't. I will love you when you have faith. I will love you when you doubt. I will love you when you're obedient. I will love you when you're rebellious. You, I will love you when you're near. I will love you when you run far from me. You, you need, do you need to run? Run. <laughs> I'll be there. Wherever you go, I'm there already. Run. I love you. The light's always on. The coffee is always available. I'm the, I'm the prodigal father. And if you're the son who, who sows your oats and, and, and sins and doubts and fails, I still love you. I never loved you because you earned it. This is really good news. And the theological importance of this word, kesed in the Hebrew language, is uh, that it stands more than any other word for this attitude which both parties of a covenant ought to maintain to, toward one another, this absolutely unconditional completely committed infinite love, right? And that theology is very hard to unpack. It's easier for me anyway to understand by illustration. And one of my favorite illustrations of it is in uh, the Gospel of Mark chapter 10. Jesus is on his way to entering Jerusalem. He is with his disciples. They're heading up to Jerusalem. In this chapter, he's just gotten into a, a debate with some religious leaders about divorce. That was a bit annoying. And then uh, there were some children uh, there, and the disciples tried to get rid of the kids. That was annoying to Jesus. And this rich guy came up, and he, he wanted to know how he could get into heaven. And then Jesus said, you have to sell everything. And that had the disciples puzzled. It was a hard day for Jesus. Every there was not an easy conversation up until this one, and things got worse from there. This is what's amazing to me. So, they're on the, I'm reading now the Bible, <laughs> Mark 10, 32. Uh, they, the disciples and Jesus, they're going up, up to Jerusalem on the road. Jesus is walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who were following were fearful. And then he, Jesus takes the 12 aside just before they get to Jerusalem. They're about to, he's about to enter. It'll be Palm Sunday, right? He's just about to enter. And uh, he says, listen, we're going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man... That's me, right? So man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, condemned to death, handed over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, beat him, and kill him. And then three days later, he'll rise. Now listen. Like if you're making a movie and you're the scriptwriter, and that's a line, like the logical next thing would be these 12 who have known this guy for three years, walked with him. They'd be like, are you kidding me? How, can we help you? What can we do? But no. Here's what you read. So James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, this is their response to what Jesus just said. Hey, Jesus, we want you to do anything we ask of you. And then Jesus says, well, what do you want to do? Well, we're having this argument. Uh, we want to sit on your right and left hand in this new kingdom that you've ta been talking about. Like, we want to be the greatest. Can, and actually... They both want to be on the right because the left is no good, right? And so, like, here's Jesus saying, I'm about to be uh, betrayed, unjustly arrested, beaten, mocked, and executed. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, whatever. Here, we had a more important question. We want to be great in your kingdom. Now, here's the deal. <laughs> Within a couple days, Jesus turns around, he washes their feet. I wouldn't have. I would have been like this. You're fired. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. It was a hard day to begin with. 
every conversation pregnant with conflict, and now my trusted inner circle. Are you kidding me? I'm, I'm finished. Ha, here's the thing. Covenant love is never finished. So he turns around and washes their feet. And it's a theme that occurs over and over in the Bible. You know, Jacob lies, cheats, steals. He's on the run. In the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 28, he has a dream. There's angels coming up down a ladder. And I won't go through the whole thing, but here's what God basically says, my paraphrase. God's speaking to Jacob. I'll bless you. I'll keep you. I'll guide you. I'm with you. You'll come back to this very promised land. This is the land that I will give to you. I'll make your name great. You and your offspring will be a blessing for generations. He's a liar. He's a cheater. He's a thief. God's response, I'm going to bless you anyway. Jacob's response, oh, wow. If God blesses me, then I'll believe. And then I would have again said, you're dead. (laughs) But covenant love stays with Jacob and blesses him. And his sons become the nation. And the tribe of Judah, a catastrophe of a guy, <laughs> becomes the line of Christ. Is God trying to tell us something here? Absolutely. He's trying to tell us that God's love for us has never been about us. And this should give us confidence. It gives me confidence. I know that uh, I can come to God as Billy Graham used to invite us to do, just as I am. I can come with my doubts. I can come with my failures. I can come with my anger, my insecurities, my fears, my hidden secrets, knowing that God receives me because of covenant love. That's remarkable to me. But there's another observation. Covenant love laments, and this is why Jesus, at the out gates of Jerusalem, he laments over the city because he says, Look, I love you. I wanted to gather you into my wings because, listen, herein, in relation with me, herein is healing, herein is hope, herein is peace, herein is joy, herein is transformation, herein is the reign of God that will heal the world, and you, Jerusalem, you you said no. I came, I taught, I healed, I multiplied loaves and fishes, I cast out demons, I stayed up all night and talked to you. You wanted none of it. And he weeps, why? Because, listen, when we reject the covenant love, what we're doing is we're maintaining our source of pain and suffering. The very thing that destroys us. And the beauty even there is this. This covenant love remains and goes to the cross because God's commitment to us is not just a commitment to love us in a sentimental way. Covenant love is committed to our transformation. And here's these disciples, clueless regarding the gifts of God. Clueless regarding the suffering of God for others. Clueless regarding the suffering of others. Only one thing. We're sitting on your right and your left. Jesus is still there. They're hopeless. But they're disciples. Boy, I'm glad they are. Because <laughs> I'm hopeless too. So there's a time of Lament. There's a time to lament when we look around in our world and we see the collective sin of our world, racism, and the gap between the rich and the poor and, and oppression and me too and homelessness and violence and tribalism and addiction and materialism and nationalism. It's a time to repent and lament 
And we lament with you, God, because you invited us to yourself, and yet, like Adam, we've run. And thank you, God, for covenant love that doesn't write us off, but will continue. Maybe as you look around your world or you look in your own heart, you with me lament tonight and receive God's covenant love. Let's do that for a moment as we continue in worship. If we've considered the goodness and the covenant love of God, which are continually and ever pursuing us, we finally, in closing and coming to the Lord's table, come to the source of all of God's goodness and loving kindness, the cross. Because if you, if you travel upstream from the goodness and covenant love and you keep going further and further, what you find at the headwaters is the cross. The, the moment uh, that Christ defeated sin. It says in John chapter 12, verse 24, unless a grain of wheat falls in ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it bears fruit. And our world is populated uh, with stories throughout history of people who, in the footsteps of Christ, have lived the path of the cross out of goodness, out of covenant love, and borne fruit. But all of that fruit... All of that goodness, all of that covenant love is impossible without the cross. This is what we declare and believe this evening. And so the cross is where we remember the means by which God defeated sin and death. The cross is our hope for the world. The cross is our basis of confidence, our relationship with God. And so we read in 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul giving instructions to the church at Corinth regarding worship, he says this, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, uh, that the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed took the bread and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, it's for you, do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way, he took the cup. And after supper, he said, the cup is the new covenant of my blood. Uh, do this as often as you drink from it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so uh, we gather here often, monthly, if you come on Sunday evenings to Bethany, uh, weekly, and we celebrate the Lord's table, and it's available to anyone. But there's a very important word that uh, is often, often goes missing, even in our own gathering, I would say, in verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 11. Paul says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. So, let each one examine themselves, and in so doing, eat the bread and drink the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge rightly. It's a very hard word. What does it mean? He who, he who eats or drinks in an unworthy manner. This used to drive me nuts when I was a kid. I remember going to a, I played a basketball game in junior high and someone hit me and I swore and I went to church in the evening and had communion and the pastor said this and I didn't take communion because I was like, I am not worthy because of what I just said. What does this mean? Here's the deal. Worthy is not sinless. I'm happy to report that. 
this evening. So what is worthy? Here's worthy. (laughs) We'll see it on Sunday. But worthy is this. Honest receiving. In other words, here's an offer from Jesus. And here's the right response. Yes, I need this. I need this. Not, oh yeah, this is what we do because we're evangelicals. Oh, no, no. I need, I need this because I need what this represents. And what, what this represents is all the goodness and covenant love of Christ. I need this. And it's more than just honest receiving. It's honest identifying. I want this love and goodness to so fill me that I become an agency of love and goodness. I need this. I want this. That's worthy. Jesus was not into closed communion. Judas took communion. We're not into closed communion either. Anyone can come. But I offered the word this evening. If you're like this, I don't need this. I'm good. Then maybe not tonight. Trust me. God loves you so much that someday you'll know you need this. (laughs) You don't have to go looking for suffering. Suffering will find you. But when you know you need, and when you know you want, here we are, the Lord's table. So the way we'll do this, I'm going to invite the servers to come now. We'll have stations here, three of them, one far over here, one here in the middle, one over here to my left, If you happen to be here this evening and you are also gluten-free, I uh, exhort you in the name of God to go to the far right. That's the only place gluten-free is available. And you have also special ways of receiving uh, the cup because your gluten-free bread will disintegrate if you dip it into the juice. So you have your own thing over there. So gluten-free is over there. But for everyone else, uh, you come to each station to receive the bread and the cup. I... I need this, I want this, this is the gift of God. Please pray with me. And then, as the choir begins to sing, come at whatever point you are ready to receive that which you know that you need and want. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you that uh, you have gone the distance for us and that we have available to us now a source of life, the strength and satisfaction found in the bread, the forgiveness and newness found in the cup, freely given because of goodness and covenant love. We need this. We want this. We receive this in Jesus' name. Amen.